You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Translanguaging is what it sounds like. It's the use of multiple languages at the same time. Professor Rhonda Oliver from the School of Education at Curtin University knows all about it. She's conducting current research on the topic, which she'll be presenting at a conference later this month. I checked in with her to understand the concept more fully and the benefits it can bring to children from diverse backgrounds, especially those from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families. Could you begin by telling me what translanguaging is? Well, translanguaging is a movement between different languages within an individual's language repertoire. So if you were bilingual, you'd move between your languages, say in Canada, between French and English. If you're an Italian-Australian, you might move between Italian and English. But translanguaging, I mean, it used to be called code switching, and it's a slightly different thing. Code switching, the analogy would be like turning channels on a TV. Whereas translanguaging, you, you, it's sort of saying, look, I can use those aspects of my home language for another context. So you build upon the languages as you, as you work. Um, and I guess it, another analogy would be like social media. It doesn't exist as a separate entity. So if you send a text message to a friend with a photo on it, you can use that same photo of Facebook or you can then use it on Instagram. They're not separate like TV channels are. Right. So I guess what you're saying is that the building blocks are the same. It's just applying those to different languages. Well, they're not actually. I mean, there's lots of things across languages that are similar. We, we explain different concepts, but the same concepts don't exist in different languages. For example, in Vietnamese, we have... Um, blue, sky blue, and we have tree blue, but in English we have green and blue. So they might be similar ideas, but they're actually constructed differently. We categorise things differently. What I'm saying is with translanguaging, in, say in the context of Aboriginal kids in Australia, they would use their home language or dialects to help them to build upon that for speaking standard Australian English. In the past, we asked the kids to code switch, leave your home language, and here is standard Australian English. Now, teachers intuitively build on home language, but what we're doing is giving recognition to that, saying they're not separate entities. They don't exist separate to each other. You don't switch from one to another. You can actually use information from different languages to inform your understanding. So why is this method growing in popularity? Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not actually a method. It's an understanding of, of languages. And as with any research, the more that we do, the better we understand how it happens. And so there was a couple of seminal papers that came out um, by Garcia and, and Wei, and they talked about translanguaging, how students' home language informed the development of others. And, and it was this thing that you don't just use English or you don't use Aboriginal English or Creole. You can actually, and I mean, if you ever listen to bilingual speakers, you hear the, the use of different words within that context. So in a classroom, how could teachers uh, encourage or 
allow the use of translanguaging? Translanguaging. Well, teachers already do in many contexts, but not in all. I mean, in the, say, Northern Territory, they have the English-only policy, the first four hours devoted to English. So they don't build on the children's language. The policy doesn't support that. But a lot of teachers intuitively will make comments, as I did when I was an ESL teacher, how do you say that in your home language? How do, how do we say it here? When I go out and do research, I see teachers saying, so when you said, you know, who am, who am Rhonda's son, how would you say that in standard Australian English? And actually making explicit the difference between home language and school language, but not saying one's worse or better than the other, just that you can use the different resources that you have, the different linguistic resources to inform one or the other. So what's sort of the end goal of um, this form of speech? Is it to increase ability in both English and the other language or languages or does it have some sort of that's broader exactly, benefit? That, no, that's <laughs> exactly it. It is what you just said. It's saying that, um, you know, in the past we used to think about bilingual kids or bidialectal kids almost in a death we created them in a deficit sort of way that they needed to move from that into this new language and then things would be great but that that sort of is denying a person's whole cultural identity and linguistic identity about who they are as a person so doing this recognizes and and gives um you know, like sorry, gives recognition to what they bring to school to the language task, and it also, you know, I I know I, I'm learning Spanish at the moment, and sometimes when I'm trying to new you uh, learn new words, I'll go, oh, uh, busca, uh, um, okay, that's that's like um, somebody busking, oh, and and they're trying to find something, so I make connections from my knowledge of English to be able to learn Spanish. I'm not very good at it, I might say, but that's what we often do is how how to make connections, why things are similar, why the grammar changes, for instance, uh, and and looking at language as an object, but by doing that, by building on the foundations that students already have from what they've learned in their home languages. So if a teacher, say, only speaks English, can they still support Absolutely. this strategy? Let me t- I didn't speak Vietnamese, but I certainly drew on the kids' home language when I was an ESL teacher teaching Vietnamese, Cambodian, Italian students. And equally, teachers teaching Aboriginal students in Australia, they, they don't, they're not necessarily going to be proficient in traditional languages or Creole or Aboriginal English. They might understand parts of it but they can certainly give due recognition and ask questions. So how would you say that at home? How would you do it, you know, elsewhere? Teachers have the time and resources to encourage this, especially in classes with students of diverse backgrounds? Look, teachers are under under enormous amount of pressure in all sorts of areas, um, you know, national testing, preparing students for that. But I, rather than thinking this is another burden, it's something that many teachers already do. What we're saying in uh, you know, in the colloquium that we've got coming up at Curtin is talking about how it can be a useful strategy 
because it's part it can be part of normal teaching practices. But instead of talking about code switching and just enforcing well, reinforcing one language or the other, it's about seeing how they can be used in a complementary fashion. And um, is there any sort of upcoming research that you're doing that builds on what we already know about translanguaging? Indeed there is. So a team of myself um, from Melbourne University led by Professor Gillian Wigglesworth and with members from Bachelor Institute and ANU, this is exactly what we're going to do. We'll be going into schools and recording students in the classroom and in the playground looking at their linguistic repertoire and, and how and when they do engage in translanguage practices. We've pilot tested this and, and seen kids doing exactly this. And, you know, it's, it's about giving, um, you know, privileging the background, the diverse background that kids do bring to school rather than treating them as a blank slate. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure.